Dementia in Practice is recorded and produced in multiple locations. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the various lands on which we meet. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and celebrate the diversity of Aboriginal peoples, their ongoing cultures and connections to the lands and waters of Australia. The clock face is a really important test to administer when we're thinking about a dementia because it gives us a lot of information about executive thinking but it's also one that can really help family members see that there's something wrong. Hi again it's Hilton Copy with you and since this is part two of our episode on diagnosing dementia we're going to get straight into it. If you haven't listened to part one it's on the podcast feed. We discuss why dementia is so difficult to diagnose and importantly, some of the diagnostic frameworks that can be used to identify or even rule out a dementia in clinical practice. My friends, Marita Long and Steph Daly are back as well. Hi, Marita and Steph. Hi, Hilton. Hi, Hilton. So in a moment, we'll play some audio of a consultation between a GP. Let's call him Dr. George, although he might sound eerily a little like me Uh, and Anna one of his long-term patients who's come for a flu shot but on this particular occasion she's brought along her adult daughter Sophie who's also known to Dr George. Steph when you see an older patient who's brought someone along a family member that doesn't usually come what what thoughts go through your mind? This is going to take me longer than 10 minutes and also that they obviously have something that they want to say there's something underlying the consultation. If I've been seeing that person on their own for a number of years, then I often think that the other person wants to say something. What's going on here? You're in 10A or up. Mm. Well, let's see if Dr. George has the same kind of thoughts as he meets with Anna and Sophie. Hello. Hi, it's good to see you. How's things been going? Look, I've come about the flu injection. I think I'm a bit late, am I? You are a little bit late, actually. Oh. oh. Yeah, I, I was wondering, did, um, we sent out some reminders. I thought maybe you didn't get the reminder for the flu. I, I can't remember getting one, no. Yeah, well, that's great that you've, you've come along yeah, today. Yeah. I haven't seen you for a little while. How have things been going? Uh, cutting back a little bit. You know, my garden was fairly big, and I'm just sort of downsizing a bit on that because although I still love it, mm-hmm. it was getting a bit much for me, so I'm cutting back on that. Mm, mm. And I I just had a look through your file uh, before you came in and noticed that your blood pressure medication were due a little while ago. Have you still been taking your tablets Um, for blood pressure? um, I think so. You you take them in the evenings, Mum. Oh, do I? Yeah. Right, yes, okay. But I've run out, have I? Well, the prescription looks like you should have run out a little while ago if you'd been taking them regularly. Oh, right. Perhaps I miss some sometimes, I'm mm. not sure. Mm. Well, it certainly, it can, it can be hard to remember and there are things that we can talk about that might make that easier for you. Right, okay. Was there anything else that you were concerned about at this stage? Um, well, we just haven't had a little bit of a worry with the, memory, with the memory loss, like forgetting to take the pills, which we've just heard now. Uh, there's been a few incidences of leaving the stove on um, overnight, not realising that you'd turned the, turn the stove on. I don't remember that. No, I know. And that's that's the thing. There's been a couple of things that, you know, that you don't remember. Yeah. 
I don't know if that's normal at this stage, you know, at age, but, you know, I just thought it might be worth a, um, check. a, ch a check on some check. of those things. Yeah. Yeah. So, Steph, if you were in Dr. George's situation, what sort of thing might be going through your mind at this time? I might be thinking, there goes lunch for a start. And also, there's a lot going on in that consultation, and there's going to be some challenging conversations ahead. Looks like we're going to be getting into thinking about our inclusion and exclusion criteria. So I'd probably be allowing a little bit of extra time for this one. And that's not always possible, uh, particularly if things haven't been scheduled. So, and we know that time is a big barrier for GPs to enable them to make a diagnosis of dementia. Uh, Marita, what else might be a barrier for GPs wanting to follow a path to a possible diagnosis of dementia? Well, I guess as um, you and Steph have just highlighted, time's, of course, one of the biggest barriers. Fortunately, in general practice, we do have the option of being able to bring our patients back. So we can kind of manage that quite well. But we also know from our research that most GPs lack the confidence to make a diagnosis and that their knowledge of dementia is actually relatively poor. And that's been based on um, looking at 500 GPs, registrars, supervisors and medical educators who have completed a um, dementia knowledge assessment tool. And that's no surprise given that very few GPs have ever had any formal education in dementia. So the research also shows that education programs like the ones that we've been running does make a difference to confidence and knowledge for GPs, which fills us with enthusiasm for this sort of work because it can make a real on-the-ground difference. So Steph, I guess in a way Dr George is being faced with having to be a bit of a dementia detective in this situation and his daughter Sophie's raised the issue of memory loss. If you were in George's situation, how might you approach it? Or, and what did you hear from the conversations so far that might make you think of a possibility of Anna developing a diagnosis of dementia? I guess to help me think about it, I might use one of our frameworks. So I could use the inclusion criteria, first of all. And thinking back to the conversation that they were having, she had been forgetting to take her medications because she was late collecting her scripts. And she was also a bit late for her flu shot, suggesting that maybe orientation in time was a bit confused. And I think she mentioned that she had let go of her garden and, and wasn't as active in that as she previously had been because it was just too much for her. Now, that could be because she was struggling physically to do it, or it could be because she's lost interest in doing it as well. And if we think about the exclusion criteria, one of the reasons she might not be doing her gardening could be that she's depressed. She might be feeling socially isolated, or she might have started to forget to take her medications because of a recent infection. So we need to exclude delirium as a cause. And then obviously the other reversible causes such as hypothyroidism. So we'd be looking at doing some bloods at this point as well. Hence uh, the issue with time. It's probably not all going to happen today, but today Sophie is there with Anna uh, and it could be an opportunity for Dr. George to ask Sophie her input. Marita, if, if you were in Dr. George's situation, how might you go about seeking permission to take a history from Sophie while she's there? Good question. I mean, I think with all of this, the most important thing is that we keep Anna central to the process of, of this. And so Anna's come for her flu vaccine, so we want to get the flu vaccine for her. So I'd probably be thinking, right, I can ask the nurse to do the flu vaccine 
And while Anna's out doing that, maybe I could ask Sophie for some extra history. But it's important that you ask for Anna's permission, get her consent. Probably what I'd do is say, so Anna, you've come for your flu vaccine. I'm just going to ask if you wouldn't mind popping out and having the nurse do your flu vaccine because that's what you've come for today. And then what I might do while you're doing that, if it's okay with you, is have a chat to Sophie to see what else she might have been noticing. Would that be okay? And then I suspect in this instance, Anna's going to say that wouldn't be a problem. Well, thankfully, Anna agreed to let Dr. George take a history from Sophie. So let's go on and have a listen to hear what Sophie had to say. It sounds to me like you're noticing a bit of a change. So if we think back to perhaps how she was a year or so ago, what would be some of the things that perhaps are different? She was certainly a lot more active a year ago. She was doing a lot more around the house, doing a lot more in the garden, going out to her bridge a couple of times a week with mm. her friends. She doesn't do that as much. Uh, she sort of is getting more fearful of leaving the house, I think. Mm. Of, um, maybe it is that she's just feeling more frail, I don't know. But uh, she is doing things like turning the stove on and not realising mm. that she's done it and leaving it on overnight. She actually abandoned half of her garden, which was mm. quite an unusual thing for her. Mm. The medication, I didn't know that she wasn't taking her uh, Blood pressure. Yeah, for the mm. medication. So there's a few things and I, I think she's generally okay but there's just a few things that I'm concerned about because, you know, some days I come in and she hasn't even dressed, mm. you know, uh, where she's always been very meticulous about, you know, looking good and so it's out of character. She used to be very busy mm. and now she sort of slowly seems to be withdrawing uh, but, but she's denying that. So you're seeing one thing and she's saying something else? Yeah. Yeah. In your mind, what do you think maybe might be going on for your mum? I think, you know, she's 75, she's not that old. I don't, but you know, I know that old people sort of start to lose their memory a bit and sort of mm. slow down. You know, it could be that there's something going on in her body that's slowing her down a bit or, um, you know, I'm sort of more concerned about her you know, mind because she's she's been very sharp all her life, very on the ball, uh, she'll, she'll be completely on the ball and then she'll completely forget mm. the conversation that we, we had the day before. Mm. So had the thought of dementia entered your mind that that might be something that's going on for your mum? Do you think that's, these are the signs of dementia, these, these are potential? Potentially, and that certainly would be one of the things in my mind that we would need to look into and that's okay. why I've asked the nurse to do the the memory test. Certainly, okay. I agree we need to look at other medical causes, yeah. uh, any other kind of physical causes, have a look at the medications, make sure. sure that there's nothing in a medication, although I think just with the blood pressure tablet, it's unlikely that that would be yeah. the cause of what's going on. And then we'll get a sense of a picture of what's happening and then together work out a plan. So, Steph, that conversation with Sophie, I imagine, was very helpful for Dr. George. What more was learnt from taking that collaborative history? 
I think it gave us that sense that something is, is was progressing over time. And also, if you think back to Matthew, when he was talking about the difference between normal aging and dementia, he talked about how people can often find it difficult to make sense of their context and where they are in certain situations. And that might be a reflection of why she's no longer engaging in bridge, for example, because she's struggling to interpret what's going on in that situation. And that really differentiates this from normal aging, I suppose. So uh, let's get back to the nuts and bolts of making a diagnosis for a person like Anna. When I went to medical school back in the dark age, it was history, examination, investigations. We know in dementia, it's about 80% comes from taking a history. But let's just think now about examination and investigations. Marita, I might start with you. What might you think to do for someone like Anna, not necessarily at this visit, but what would be the next step in working up a diagnostic process for Anna? Yeah, so I suppose what I'd um, try and do is get a blood pressure first off, check that her blood pressure is okay, um, check her pulse. You know, we're always on the lookout for um, arrhythmias. Uh, I'd be thinking about doing a full neurological examination as well, and that's really just looking for cerebrovascular markers so could there be something going on there which could point us to a vascular dementia or to perhaps any other sort of vascular um, issues that Anna could have. Um, a ward urine test or getting the nurse to do a ward urine test we want to sort of rule out any infection that could be impacting on her cognition and then I guess your baseline blood you'd want to look at as well so you'd be looking for any kind of reversible cause so that could be thyroid dysfunction it could be an electrolyte imbalance good old vitamin b12 you might want to check calcium levels um, and you might do some of those fasting bloods as well um, just to look at modifying risk factors as well cholesterol and, and fasting blood sugar and depending on the situation there might be a few other special tests you'd look at but they'd really be the the next port of call for me do you know what i'd add to that is a weight Oh, because, weight's really important. Yeah, and I think if Anna does end up having a diagnosis mm. of dementia, a weight can really be helpful over time because you can see whether somebody's eating or not. Yeah. There might not be any other evidence that they're not eating because people will often say that they've had three meals a day when they haven't. And such an easy thing to do. Yeah, and it's and people don't mind really having their weight done. And I guess Dr. George's nurse can help with some of those things. What about a brain scan well, we do a brain scan when we're making the diagnosis of dementia, but not really to look for any particular pathology related to the dementia itself. It's more to exclude other pathology. For example, some people might have a brain tumour or something that might be affecting their ability to remember things or function day to day. So it's really to exclude other conditions. And obviously, if we're looking for vascular causes, you might see that they had a previous stroke, for example, or microvascular changes on the CT. So CT, you do. Dr. Yeah. George would be doing a CT. The simplest test and the one that's easiest to arrange is all you need to do. A non-contrast CT, mm -hmm. yeah, to rule out exclusion criteria for the diagnosis. Yeah. So really, just to reiterate that those investigations are done to rule out uh, other organic causes for the Anna's cognitive and functional decline. The list of investigations will be in the resources in the show notes section. I know people would be very interested to hear our thoughts about cognitive screening tests. So Marita, for someone like Anna, what are your thoughts about the role of cognitive screening tests? I guess the big take home 
message here is that they are just that. They are just screening tests. They're not diagnostic tests. So just like a positive fecal occult blood test doesn't tell us someone has colorectal cancer. Um, they're really useful to do and sometimes they're important to do in terms of prescribing. But someone could do an MMSE, for example, which is probably the one most people are familiar with, and get a perfect score but still have a dementia. Equally, they could have a very poor score and not have a dementia. So they are just screening. And I think we've alluded to the fact that they can become quite useful to do over time. There's so many out there. I personally like the GP cog um, because it's quite quick and it has the clock face. And I think the clock face is a really important uh, test to administer when we're thinking about a dementia because it gives us a lot of information about executive thinking, but it's also one that can really help family members see that there's something wrong. So often we can go through a whole lot of screening and they can say, you know, oh, yeah, but it's normal to forget a few words. But when they see someone do a clock face that is just so not a traditional clock face, it really brings the message home that, gee, I'd had no idea that, you know, they could do something that looks so different to what they would ordinarily or normally have been able to do. So I think the the message there being, and, and Steph, We'll probably talk about a few other screening tests, but is pick one that you're comfortable with and become really familiar with being able to administer that well, but don't forget the clock face. And Steph, yeah, I know you see a few people of non-English speaking background. Uh, what what do you do in that situation with regard to cognitive screening testing? So the RUDAS is really helpful if you have someone from a non-English speaking background, but it's also perfectly appropriate to use it in somebody who can speak English and I quite like it because it is much more conversational than the MMSC. It talks about going for uh, going to the shops and remembering a shopping list and then has a bit about safety and crossing the road safely so you can really build it into a conversation to gauge how that person is functioning and and what they understand by their environment as well Uh, so that's a really useful one to do. I also really like the clock face and I and I, I know some people actually collect all the different types of clock face. But the thing that I see probably the most common commonly see is that people will either crowd all the numbers onto one side, but also when they're then coming to write their hands on there, instead of writing the hands on, they write the digital clock on the analog clock face. And that happens time and time again. And I just wonder what's going to happen in the future when we all just use these <laughs> digital clocks and forget how to really read the time anymore. We need to think about other populations who that live in Australia and particularly the indigenous population. They can often have dementia that presents much earlier. And so there is a specific tool that has been designed for the, that, that particular population and it's called the Kika. So it's worth being familiar with that as well because you need to you need to use your cognitive screening tools for the person in front of you. So using it for different populations is important. And also taking into account that person's background in terms of their educational level. It's also important to think about that because that can affect how someone will perform on a cognitive screening test and whether they have any other um, issues. For example, some people have visual impairment, some people have hearing impairments. And so there are specially designed tests for people who have those problems as well and sometimes we use the mocker in in that circumstance 
So lots of initials there, Kika, Rudas, <laughs> yeah. Mocha. It's hard to get those um, in your head on a podcast, but don't worry, it's in the show notes section. There's some detailed links to all those cognitive screening tests. But just again, to reiterate what Marita said, these tests, they're called screening tests. They are not diagnostic tests. And almost in a way, they're not screening tests. It's almost like case-finding tests <laughs> because they're not to designed to be done on a whole population. It's in people like Anna where there's some suspicion that they might have a dementia. It adds another piece of information. But as we've said in the previous episode, the inclusion criteria for a diagnosis of dementia is a gradual onset of declining memory that's getting worse over time and affecting function and demonstrating some cortical dysfunction. You'll notice there's no mention of cognitive screening test score in the inclusion criteria. It's just another piece of information that can be useful in uh, uh, tracking how someone's going. And it's not always appropriate to do it every time because if somebody really can't you know, read or write, then half of the test is going to be not appropriate for that person so you have to judge it on the situation that you're in and i think for some people it can be quite humiliating as well Mm -hmm. to prove their lack of functioning and unless it's helpful i don't see the point in doing it it's also referring to it as a memory test as well you have to be very careful about your language because people feel they are being challenged and tested so it's how you describe what you're doing as well So speaking of screening tests, I guess, you know, going back over Anna's uh, presentation, we probably would want to look at um, doing a geriatric depression scale just to see if there's any evidence there of uh, depressive illness that could be impacting on uh, Anna's cognition. Yeah, and thanks for bringing us back to Anna Morita. So what actually happened for Anna is that uh, Dr. George organised for her examination investigations to be done, and they were all completely normal. She had a geriatric depression score done, which was also in the normal range, and her mini mental score was 23. She also had some word-finding difficulties. So Actually, all of the four inclusion criteria were met for Anna and she had none of the exclusion criteria. So I thought we might have a listen to how Dr. George explains his findings to Anna and Sophie and then we can have a little more of a discussion about that process. So Anna, I've had a good look at all of your results and I'm pleased to say the blood tests are all completely normal and the brain scan showed no sign of a brain tumour. Okay, great. But what that means is that the likely diagnosis for the cause of the changes that have occurred for you over the last six to 12 months is a form of dementia. So like, um, that's like Alzheimer's? Like Alzheimer's. Uh, So Marita, how do you think Dr. George handled that difficult conversation? I think Dr. George did a really good job. He gave those results very clearly that all the results had come back and they were normal. So that reassures Anna that all the things she might have been worried about in terms of could she have had a brain tumour or something wrong with her bloods, they're all okay. He pauses a little bit and then he says, but what that does mean? And so sort of forecasting that there's more to come. So what that does mean is that the likely diagnosis is dementia in which case we hear Anna gasp, so she's quite shocked, and 
Then Sophie says, like Alzheimer's, asking a question, looking for for George's answer, and he says with a, a softer intonation, like Alzheimer's, just reaffirming that that's the likely diagnosis. So I think it was really um, beautifully handled in that it was very clear and to the point. And to be honest, it didn't take all that long. And probably what I'd add to that is that it's obviously quite a shock to receive a diagnosis. And often people aren't going to take in much more than just the name of what you've said. So I'd probably phrase it that we're going to be seeing a lot more of each other and arrange a follow-up appointment within a week or two just to offer further clarification or answer any questions and just be there for the person and their family. Well, I hope if you're listening as a healthcare provider, particularly a GP, that you found that episode useful. In our next episode, we'll look at dementia from a carer's perspective, and I'll be chatting to someone whose father lived with dementia. I think Helen's story is really important because as GPs, we often get to know the family members and carers of patients with dementia as well as the person who has dementia. So I'm really looking forward to hearing more from her. And if you found this episode helpful, make sure you tell your colleagues to have a listen too. It's a quick and simple way to access this important information and that's why we're making it. You can follow Dementia Training Australia on Facebook or at Dementia Train AU on Twitter. Thanks for joining us and see you next time. If you're a person living with dementia or if you're a family member or a carer of someone living with dementia, Dementia Australia has some great resources. The National Dementia Helpline is 1800 100 500 or you can visit dementia.org.au. Dementia in Practice is an initiative of Dementia Training Australia which is funded by the Australian Government.